0: Live from the WLI WFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Monday, September 18th, 2023. I'm Gianna Volpe. Two persons in distress aboard a 27 foot sailboat being tossed around in high surf from Hurricane Lee in the ocean waters off West Hampton Beach, rescued by a helicopter dispatched from the United States Coast Guard Station in Cape Cod. On Friday afternoon, the boat was first spotted by an individual walking on the shore at Cooper's Beach in Southampton Village, put out a 911 call, which went to the Suffolk County Police Department. County police transferred the call to the Southampton Village Police Department, which had officers down on the beach within two minutes, according to Police Chief Suzanne Hurtow. The pair were ultimately plucked off the boat after a search and rescue operation carried out by an MH-60 helicopter, which then transported the individuals back to the Cape Cod station. Kaylin Riley reporting on 27East.com that the harrowing rescue required the coordination of several different agencies from two states. And her toast said on Saturday the boaters were lucky to be alive. Quote, we found out later from the Coast Guard that they're from New Jersey and they came out to Montauk a few days ago by sailboat. The chief said of the individuals on board, adding they wanted to get home. Before the storm hit so they were trying to get from Montauk to New Jersey and quote in the early stages of the rescue effort officers from the Long Island sector of the Coast Guard advised the captain not to attempt to enter Shinnecock Inlet because it would be too hazardous to navigate because of the hurricane swell conditions. The boat captain confirmed that they were in distress and also low on fuel. The other individual on board was also reported to be severely seasick couple was ultimately safely taken off the boat at 2 p.m. Their boat will uh, eventually wash ashore somewhere. Chief Hurtow also praised the multiple agencies that were involved or assisted in coordinating the rescue and said the dispatchers in particular were key in pulling it all together. It was a true crisis, the chief said, continuing they were instrumental in getting all the crew out there. They really are the backbone of any emergency situation for us, End quote. In other news, with a development moratorium in place since December, Greenport Village has unveiled sweeping changes that would reshape zoning, ban nightclubs, and set new rules for parking and entertainment. Tara Smith reporting on Newsday.com that the changes are part of a larger Overhaul Officials say will preserve maritime history, maintain a vibrant business district, and balance tourism with year-round residents. Officials have been working since January to revamp the code. And Mayor Kevin Stusey said Thursday the board will lift the moratorium once the changes are approved. A public hearing that began in August remains open. Officials hope the new zoning will ease friction between residents and businesses, which has grown as Greenport evolved into a tourist destination and prompted noise complaints at night. Under the proposed changes, all businesses that feature live Or amplified music or DJs would be required to obtain a two-year entertainment permit from the business. Officials said they plan to waive the $250 fee for the first year, but require businesses to have them in place for summer 2024. The permits could be revoked if citations are issued for noise and other violations. Officials did not say how much the permit fees would generate, uh, nor how they would be spent. The changes were first published on the Greenport Village website in late July, a public information session will be held at the Greenport Fire Department tomorrow at 4 p.m. The next opportunity to weigh in on the changes will be at a hearing this Thursday, September 21st. In Riverhead, a pair of students in the district will face disciplinary action after directing racial slurs at children at a high school football game, according to school officials. Schools Superintendent Augustine Tornator told attendees at the district's BOE meeting late uh, last Tuesday that principals of both the high school and middle school, where the students attend, were working with police investigating the September 9th incident. Grant Parpan reporting on Newsday.com that late yesterday, a district spokesperson said school administrators will meet today with the Riverhead Town Anti Bias Task Force and provide an update. At last week's meeting, Board member Virginia Healy, who was at the game, said the two white students also spoke to the mother of the children who are black in a very disrespectful and derogatory way. Quote, it was heard by a lot of people in the stands and the community was appalled, Healy said, adding that police responded to the scene. Healy said at the meeting that students were told they are no longer allowed to attend the games. The incident occurred during the Riverhead varsity football team's season-opening loss at home against Bay Shore. It started on a playground at Pulaski Street School, where the team plays and spilled over to the stands near the end of the game, according to Ron Edelson of ZE Creative Communications, which handles communications for the district. Edelson said the three in the group accused of using the slurs are a Riverhead high school student, a Riverhead middle school student, and a former student who transferred out of the district and has since graduated. On Sunday, Edelson said school administrators have been reviewing surveillance camera footage to better understand what happened. After administrators meet today with the Riverhead Town Anti-Bias Task Force, they're expected to update the school community on the investigation and eventual disciplinary measures. And finally, the League of Women Voters of the Hamptons, Shelter Island, and North Fork will be holding a public information program on Southampton and East Hampton Town energy issues. That's going to be tonight, 7 p.m., in Hampton's Library, 2478 Main Street in Bridgehampton. Beth Young of East End Beacon reporting the program, organized by the League's Sustainability Committee Chair uh, Terry Wildrick, will include speakers. Lynn Arthur, Energy Chair of Southampton Town's Sustainability Committee, and Lena Tabori, a member of East Hampton Town's Sustainability Committee. The speakers will discuss the town's progress working toward obtaining electricity from 100% renewable energy sources through community chair aggregation and community solar. That's seven o'clock tonight at the Hampton Library in Bridgehampton. Reading the weather in Stony Brook in honor of pediatric infectious diseases expert Dr. Andrew Hondell of Stony Brook Medicine. Joining us again for the Medical Monday segment underwritten by Jennifer Benton. Uh, he'll be talking ticks and the congenital CMV project as New York State adds CMV to the newborn screening program this fall. Looking like showers today before 2 p.m. Then showers and possibly a thunderstorm between 2 and 5 Then the chance of showers and thunderstorms continuing after that. High near 72, uh, south wind around 8 miles per hour becoming east in the afternoon. Tonight, again, that uh, chance of showers before 8 p.m. will be 30%. And I'm not sure if this is correct. I'm guessing so since the explanation was coming from a meteorologist. But I saw a video that said when they say a percent chance of showers, it's not that they are 30% sure it's going to rain. It's that they're 100% sure that 30% of their listening or viewing coverage will experience rain. Blew my mind, if it's true. Cloudy otherwise during the early evening, then gradual clearing with a low around 60 degrees. West wind around 11 miles per hour. Right now it's 66 degrees. We've got Sung Lee joining us at the bottom of the next hour for the Monday Meditation He's got a, a new uh, art exhibition. I believe it's called Bamboo Forest. Uh, and so we have the bamboo edition for you here on The Heart. Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Robert Ellis, Cousin Diki, and the Baker Street Irregulars in your immediate listening future. But first, Vaughn Moore going back to 49 to open up the bamboo edition of The Heart Morning and Midnight Show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life All because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station WLI-WFM.
1: i mm-hmm.
2: You throw it in the water. Oh, oh, oh You take a stick of bamboo. You take a stick of bamboo. You take a stick of bamboo. You, you throw it in the water.
1: Travel, oh, 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 you travel on the water Oh Oh You travel on the river you travel on the river You travel on the river You travel on, your
3: river. Travel on
2: the river. You take a stick of bamboo, you take a stick of bamboo, you throw
0: it in the water. little Peter, Paul, and Mary leading us to the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour a little after midnight if you're listening to the replay. That means it's time for our Monday meditation segment underwritten by Jennifer Benton welcoming back to the program Pediatric infectious disease expert, Dr. Andrew Hondell of Stony Brook Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Hondel.
4: Good morning. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you for being with us. I know we're going to talk ticks as we did last time, but I did want to start by talking about uh, the CMV uh, screening program that New York State is uh, adding to the newborn screening uh, as of this fall. Has uh, Are we officially there or not quite
4: yet? We're still waiting for the official rollout date, but it's expected to start uh, any, any week now. Within okay. the next month, we're expecting to begin.
0: So let's talk about what CMV is.
4: So CMV is a common virus. Uh, it's related to EBV, which is the, the virus that causes mono. Uh, and about 50% of adults have been infected with it at some point. Uh, but the reason we're concerned about it today is that it can actually cause uh, a congenital infection, an infection in developing fetuses that can cause long-term developmental and, and hearing concerns for those babies.
0: Okay. And so it's somebody, this would be if someone has had it before or if they have it actively while the baby is developing? Explain
4: how it all works. Sure. So it's a little bit tricky, actually. So the most severe cases typically happen in women who have their first infection, Okay. Uh, while pregnant, oh, okay. uh, because they don't have much immunity against the virus. And so uh, they tend to have more severe illnesses and the babies can get uh, can have more severe outcomes. Um, but actually, a small percentage of women who were infected previously can be infected with a new strain or the virus, because uh, actually CMV, once you have it, it stays in your body forever, can actually get reactivated and can also cause uh, symptoms in, in those developing fetuses.
0: Got it. Okay. And so you would be able to tell... Uh, If newborn babies are born with with this uh, with the with the antibodies with the the virus itself,
4: yeah. So uh, one of the things that makes congenital CMV tricky is that about eighty five percent of babies born with it have no symptoms at birth, Uh, and within that group, the majority actually will have no long term problems. But about fifteen percent of all babies will develop hearing loss down the road, and so it becomes a little bit tricky making the diagnosis at birth. Uh, or, or at all, because again, most of the babies don't have any symptoms, so we don't go screening for it. And so what New York State is planning to do is to start testing for the virus itself in the heel stick, the blood stick uh, test right. that we do from all babies in New York State, uh, and see if the virus is there at birth.
0: And I mean, that heel prick is amazing, because you 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 learn so much from just that little bit of blood. Can you talk about the types of things that are screened for already? With just a yeah, so little it's, little uh, sample?
4: It's, it's a wonderful service that the the State Department of Health offers. So it's, uh, it, it's a tiny heel stick. It's almost like if anyone's ever had a, a finger prick before to check yes. their blood sugar. Similar test to that, we do it on the babies uh, when they're in the newborn nursery. And within a week, it looks for, I think they're now up to 50 or 60 different diseases. Uh, that uh, many of them are genetic diagnoses that are very difficult to make but we actually have uh, interventions we have treatments for a lot of those if they're picked up early enough Um, it does look for uh, some immune deficiencies so babies who are born with uh, problems with their immune system it looks for babies who have problems with their thyroid Uh, it looks for HIV as well so it does look for a very very large number of uh, diagnoses that, that can be really detrimental to the babies if not diagnosed early on
0: right Right, and it's important to catch this stuff early. So the last time we were on, you blew my mind. You were talking about uh, the development of uh, vaccines against Lyme disease, right? That's you know correct. So so yeah. tell me uh, if there – I mean, it, it takes a while uh, mm-hmm. to, to find out or to develop, obviously, to develop vaccines. Um, but has there been anything learned since the last time – You were on uh, the show with us. Sure.
4: So we have uh, completed enrollment in across the country, but at Stony Brook, we were one of the clinical trial sites for a new Lyme disease vaccine. So enrollment in our portion of the study has been completed, um, and so now we're following those children uh, for the next couple of years to look at how their antibodies develop and look at any any side effects of the vaccine, because of course that's important to monitor for. Right. Um, and what we've learned from so far is that the initial it, it, so it's an initial set of, va- uh, of vaccine doses, right. and then a booster about a year later. And so we've seen that those initial set of vaccine doses have actually uh, prompted a, a very strong immune response from from the children enrolled. And so that's very, very promising that this will be an effective vaccine. Uh, and we're hoping, you know, it'll, it'll make it to market within the next few years so that we can start, uh, you know, providing vaccines to other kids in our area who are at risk of, of coming across Lyme disease.
0: How large is the enrollment for this clinical trial?
4: Uh, it's thousands of patients. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's kind of different arms of the study. Um, and so, again, altogether, there's, there's you know, I, I think it's a few, three or 4,000 children who are, who are enrolled in the study.
0: Can you talk about the importance of sample size since we're on the topic?
4: Yeah. Great question. Uh, so we need large studies, uh, A, because we want to make sure to enroll a diverse group of children, uh, because uh, children from different backgrounds may have different responses to the vaccines, and, and some groups may respond uh, have a stronger antibody response than others. But also, again, one of the key things is we always want to make sure these vaccines are safe. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, you know, a lot of the vaccine, re- vaccine reactions, some of them may not be so common. You know, it, it's very common for children to have a sore arm or a little bit of fever after a vaccine. But we want to make sure that we're not missing anything that's more subtle than that or, or, or less common. And so you need to enroll a large number of, of participants in these trials to look for those rare events because we don't want to be surprised by that when, when the vaccines become available to the general public. Right.
0: No, I don't. Now, uh I wanted to ask about the tick resource center and how the opening of that has been in Hampton Bays, um, and probably also give the information. So I'll I'll look that up while you're talking.
4: Yeah. So Stony Brook has a long history of, of tick-borne disease research. Uh, we were one of the the locations where where Lyme disease was actually discovered. It was taking we actually uh, Stop. It was taken from ticks from Shelter Island were, were uh, taken by, by one of the professors who's still here, and, and that's, uh, that those ticks were used to identify Lyme disease, the Borrelia burg, burgdorferi, the bacteria, as the cause of Lyme disease. And so in any case, uh, we now have opened up this summer a tick-borne resource center over in Southampton where we're seeing uh, pediatric and adult patients with tick-borne disease experts. Um, and not only are they getting clinical care, but there's lots of education and, and other resources available through the center. Um, and so we're really excited to be expanding further out east and, you know, into the, the heart of these tick-borne diseases. And, of course, we'll be, you know, uh, using the opportunity to perform more research and better understand these these infections.
0: They've got free tick removal kits. There's all sorts of resources available um, at the clinic and at the resource center. There's a couple different numbers. So adults uh, for appointments can call 631-725-2112. Kids are 631-2112. 444-KIDS four, four, four or 444-54-37. Four, 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 There's also a helpline, uh, 631-726-TICK or seven two six eighty four twenty five. So if you're looking for more information, you can also go to uh, stonybrookmedicine.edu and find the Tickborne Disease Resource Center. I have a kind of a question that I'm not sure if you could help me with doctor, but we were talking on behind the headlines, uh, a panel of journalists, and uh, Annette Henkel brought up the question, uh, do Lone Star ticks or can Lone Star ticks carry Lyme? Do you know the answer to that?
4: So good question. Uh, they do not. Uh, Lone Star ticks do not transmit Lyme disease. Um, the In our area, the deer ticks do, the black legged ticks. Uh, the, the scientific name is Ixodes. Those are the only ones in our region that are able to. And we've and we've um, been seeing
0: a a rise, right, of of the lone star ticks.
4: They are yes, they are everywhere on Long Island. They make up you know maybe sixty seventy percent of all the ticks that we have on Long Island. Whoa. And so uh, when I receive questions about uh, you know uh, when, when I see patients or, or receive questions about people who have been bitten by ticks, the vast majority of them are lone, lone star, star ticks.
0: So did, yeah, I mean, which, and and that's this is something where you know you see in nature. Uh, different species, plants, animals, whatnot, uh, you know, crowding out. We, we've, talk, we've been talking quite a bit about, you know, invasive plant species lately. Uh, of course, we've been talking about a l- spotted lantern fly. So, you, you know, you see uh, mm-hmm. these explosions of different types of, of beings, as it were. Uh, is the rise of Lone Star ticks leading to less of other kinds of ticks? Is there a possibility that we could... End up seeing less Lyme disease, uh, not only because of uh, vaccinations and whatnot in the future, but maybe because there's less incidence of uh, people being bit bitten by deer deer ticks.
4: It's a it's a wonderful question, and it's it's complicated, it's t- and I d- I don't think I have the re- you know full answer to it. I don't think I anyone mean, t- does. T- only um, time
0: would tell, right?
4: But but there is some thought that the lone star ticks, for reasons that we don't quite understand, maybe crowding out the other ticks. Um, but that said, Lyme disease is still on, on, on the rise. And yeah. so I oh, think proportionally there are more Lone Star ticks, um, but they're still, you know, the, 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 the deer tick are still doing quite well for themselves. Um, I didn't the, the realize lone star that. Are, so
0: so yeah. you, t- Lyme disease is mm-hmm. on the rise? I mean, uh, how, mm-hmm. purport, like how much? How many more? Yes.
4: So uh, the CD, it's difficult to say because diagnosing Lyme disease is tricky and getting accurate numbers is, is right. challenging. Uh, for a number of of, uh, reasons related to the public health reporting of Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Um, But the CDC does these estimates every 10 years or so. They've done a few of them looking at Lyme disease incidents. And so, uh, you know, about a decade ago, they said there were about 300,000 cases uh, across the country every year. Um, And the most recent estimate that came out about a year ago said it was closer to about 450,000. Oh, wow. Um, but again, there's some questions about those numbers. So so the actual numbers are they're They're a little bit challenging to know exactly where the, the real number of cases are. Right. Uh, but it's it, it just really, you know, it does show that they it truly is on the rise, that there are more and more cases every year.
0: One of the difficulties has to be in uh, when folks are seeking uh, blood testing, because uh, it, many people go too soon, correct? Like the, you're not able uh, to tell because the number of spirochetes or or, mm-hmm. or whatever is what they're not are they called spirochetes yeah. what oh oh so yeah about.
4: so so yeah you're you're right uh so borrelia the type of bacteria is it, it falls within uh, the, the the way it looks is uh under a microscope is a spirochete that's okay. a shape it's a a corkscrew shape got it um but you're right in that when Lyme disease the way we test for Lyme disease is we look for your antibodies uh, and against the bacteria itself. And those antibodies take three or four weeks to develop. Right. And so if you go in and you have a target rash, usually that's only about a week or so after the tick bite occurred. Mm -hmm. And so because it's so soon after the tick bite, your antibody testing is going to be negative. So if you look at blood work, we would say you don't have Lyme disease, but we also all know that it's not accurate at that stage. If you have a target rash, the bullseye rash, you have Lyme disease and we treat it. Um, yeah. And so one of the challenges with the reporting is that the, the reporting is generally based on those lab reports. So the patients who have target rashes are going to be undercounted by the official numbers.
0: Oh, and that's probably the most common way that folks exactly. are treated for Lyme disease. Yep. Because, you know, and so this part of the frustration people might, like they get the, the, the uh, bullseye rash, they get mm-hmm. the um, the medicine for it. The, mm-hmm. you know, the antibiotic, the antibiotics. and then they're probably frustrated that they're not sent out for blood testing, but the blood testing at that point in time would be moot anyway.
4: That's exactly right. And so we, it's actually the, the national guidance in our practice here is that we, you, you don't do any blood testing on patients who only have the target rash right? Uh, because we, they do have Lyme disease at that phase, but just the blood testing is not helpful. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the antibody testing actually gets a bad rap and people often say that it's not a good test. The truth is it actually is, is quite good once it's been a few weeks after your infection started, after the tick bite occurred. Um, and, and it's, so, and you it's know, good.
0: It's not good to wait for that anyway because you definitely want to get treated of course. as soon as possible.
4: And, and so what we do is if you have someone with a, with a rash that looks like Lyme <laughs> disease, we treat you for the rash. Um, you know, there's often not much of patients will ask about being tested afterward. Many patients, if you, if you were treated early enough, uh, you know, early once your, your rash started, you actually never developed that antibody response, and so, uh, a lot of times, you know, it's we, we see the rash, we treat, and, and uh, that's kind of the beginning and the end of it for many patients. But you, it's, it's frustrating because it is helpful to, you know, people do like to see on paper that they right. have confirmed infection or not,
0: right? I get it, yeah. I love it. Thank you, doctor. (laughs) I learned so much. I always do. Uh, So grateful to you for your time. Before I let you go, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure folks know uh, either about uh, tick-borne illness uh, or the new uh, CMV screening that's going to be added to uh, the newborn screening panels uh, this fall throughout the state?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people with, with these tick-borne infections, you know, we, we do see many, many of these, you know, many patients with it and many concerns of it. My, my biggest advice is don't panic if you have a concern about it. Call your medical provider. If you'd like to be seen at the Tickborne resource center, we're happy to see you out east as well or in one of the other Stony Brook clinics. Uh, but again, there's lots of great antibiotics and, and treatments for any of these infections. And so uh, before you panic, talk with your medical provider.
0: Dr. Andrew Hondell, a pediatric infectious disease expert with Stony Brook Medicine. You can go to stonybrookmedicine.edu for more information uh, and to be seen at the Regional Tick-Borne Disease Resource Center, or at the clinic. Uh, I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Dr. Andrew Hundell. This is Robert Ellis, and you, whoever you are out there, you just heard the Medical Monday segment underwritten by Jennifer Benton on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love.
5: the house down by the creek And the summers there got so hot There were swarms of mosquitoes around that old wood dock but That field was all cut down Oh, I ain't been since I left town, and that dark has all but washed away. Just a crude reminder of what it was yesterday. It was there that I first learned to shoot. I steadied my aim, pulled the trigger of that old 22. Learned to build things Made from scrap wood With hammer and nails I did what I could to be Just like you But I sold Those guns and bought a car I don't have Nowhere to shoot them I don't have a backyard And I had don't anymore I spend all my time working buy what I need at the store something that
0: From Robert Ellis to Cousin Deaky, you get a little bit of it all here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
6: It's just me and my bamboo. My bamboo. Come walk a mile in these dance shoes. None of this happened by chance. Think I might need an advance, too. It's just me and my plans. Don't know who else I can vent to. Writing these songs in a trance. Think it might mess up my plans, too. People don't know who I am. Crazy, no one understands. I'm a sham, I'm a fraud. Agnostic, believing in God. Working till all of my trips are abroad. I'm playing shows just to hear the applause. It's
3: true.
6: And I need some love and some gratification. People don't know all the problems I'm facing. Hard to go through all these tough conversations when people give up with like no hesitation. I hate being pushed to the side. Please do not bring me around haters. Please do not tell me no lies please do not ask me for favors it's just me and my bamboo come walk a mile in these dance shoes none of this happened by chance think I might need an advance too it's just me and my plans don't know who else I can vent to writing these songs in a trance thinking might mess up my plans and now I'm all alone my bamboo has withered away And now I'm all alone My bamboo has withered away It was me and my bamboo Now I have no one to vent to None of this happened by chance Think I might need an. My plants can't walk anymore in these dance shoes. Writing this song in a trance, making my mess of my plans. I'll tell stories of spilt drinks and messy floors. I'll tell of times when it was easier to stay up all night howling at the moon and wake up rested come sunrise.
2: Once I was sick I was down and out There was a little bamboo tree I couldn't do without My little tree was just this high But he grew a lot then On summer days we would lie in the shade On summer nights he'd listen My bamboo tree He loves me In a land long ago When I was so much older There was another I was so much colder He took my shirt and he'd make me play But my heart wasn't in it Now a life without this bamboo tree would be worth living My bamboo tree Little
0: bamboo tree. Ah, I'm just sitting here in the irony of how I was talking about inv- invasive plants and animals. And I'm <laughs> playing the bamboo edition of The Heart. All right, so we've got, speaking of bamboo trees, we've got Judy Garland and Margaret O'Brien under the bamboo tree from the Meet Me in St. Louis original motion picture soundtrack. So going back to 43 for this, then we'll be hopping forward two decades in time for Lee uh, Les Baxter and his orchestra, The Girl Behind the Bamboo Curtain, from the Soul of the Drums. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Judy Garland and Margaret O'Brien, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to the Bamboo Edition of The Heart on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
2: Down in the jungles lived a maid of royal blood, though dusky shade. A large impression once she made upon a Zulu from Matabulu. And every morning he would be down underneath a bamboo tree, awaiting there his love to see. And then to her, see, so... To...
3: Oh.
0: Little girl behind the bamboo curtain, right there, leading you into the NPR news break with Behind the Bamboo Shade. This is Joe Eli from the 1998 record Twistin' in the Wind here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. I'm going
7: down to some blue border town where the rancher Radios play. My life is a change. Jam- Too many tangles, I know that I must get away My past is behind me, I can't let them find me I know that I must get away Where cheap Christmas lights shine all day and night that's where I'm headed out where the day meets the shade. I only came for a holiday to sit in Mexican wind. I only came for the whiskey. Suddenly she walks in She wore a dress made of lace And a light on her face I felt the room start to shake On a black Spanish love scene Behind the bamboo shade I only came with the sun And wound up with the moon and the star met my room filled with Spanish guitar the kerosene in my blood came on like a flood as I stood to take her away to a black Spanish love seat behind the bamboo shade. In the sweat, my legs feeling too weak. stand there's a pain in my back, not a bit of grip in my hand. A flash of steel in the night left me no time to write and have a to leave my grave. The church bells ring on a love scene behind the bamboo shed. I reached out in the dark, put my hand on her heart while the boughs of the palm she swayed to a black Spanish love scene behind the bamboo shade. I'm on a black Spanish love scene behind the bamboo